Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. In the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. The life of the Christian is received as a gift. From the time you first heard the word of God preached and taught into your ears, to that dying breath when you hear the word of absolution spoken and you respond with your final amen. The whole time, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are working all things, even moving heaven and earth to bring you into the faith, to continually restore you to faithfulness, and then to keep you in that faith until the day you die. Today, when Jesus speaks of prayer, he is speaking under the category of the gift of faith. You have been joined to Jesus, the eternal Son of the Father, by your baptism. And because you are Jesus' brother and co-heirs of his kingdom, his Father now is your Father too. And because Jesus has restored you then to God's family through his substitutionary suffering and death on the cross, you can speak to God as your loving Father. As the Father loves Jesus, so he loves you. And because you love his Son, Jesus tells you that you also then love the Father. This relationship of love restored by Jesus' blood-bought forgiveness is the life of prayer, as dear children ask their dear Father. Jesus interceding on your behalf before the Father, and the Father hearing and answering his prayers for your sake. But even more than that, Jesus promises to hear your prayers in his name and to offer them up to the Father on your behalf. And even then, you can pray to the Father, saying, Our Father. As God's own child, you can gladly say those words, Our Father, and all the rest, Lord, have mercy. Hear my prayer in the name of Jesus. So the response of faith and that new life as children of God is prayers. Prayers offered on your behalf to the Father in the name of Jesus, to which you can say amen. Yea, yea, it shall be so, yesterday, today, and forever. As our catechumens all learn, Ella, Leah, and the rest of you, the life of the Christian is a life of prayer. Morning and evening, noontime and mealtime, Sabbath and weekday. As we have received the implanted word, we pray that word back to Jesus. St. Luke tells us that the very first Christians on the day of Pentecost continued in the prayers. So we begin with the prayer Jesus taught us, our Father, and then we grow into the morning, evening, and meal prayers of our youth, and then that blossoms into the whole liturgical life of the prayer of the church. We learn to pray the catechism, the psalms, the traditional collects, the hymns, the spiritual songs, indeed, even praying the liturgies of the church. And so every time you gather with fellow Christians to pray, what you're doing today, you continue in the faith that you received in Jesus. St. James also reminds you today that the new life received by the Spirit in the Son and from the Father 
has its way with you in more than just prayer. James exhorts you, therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which can save your souls, but be doers of the word, not simply hearers only, deceiving yourselves. As beloved children of God, baptized into the fellowship of God the Trinity and with all those who are likewise saved, the lifeblood of Jesus courses through your veins, giving you life in whom you move and have your being. And he breathes his spirit upon you, the breath of God that gives you that new life, but keeps breathing life into you that you may live. The Spirit's means of keeping you with Jesus are not self-appointed. That's what James is saying. You don't get to tell Jesus what it means to live as a Christian, other than telling him, just as much as telling him, how to save you. It's all gift from him by his choosing from top to bottom, received in humility like a child on Christmas morning. That's St. James' point when he says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. How do you do the word? (laughs) By receiving the works that the word gives you. You can't say you are a Christian and say you trust in his word and then deny the life of faith, the works that are given by that word. Thus, James is debunking that whole spiritual but not religious myth in just a few short verses. Everybody is religious as much as they are spiritual. Everyone believes in something and then lives their life according to that belief. They can call it what they want, secular humanism, atheism, it doesn't matter. Everyone is religious, believes in someone or something, and then lives in trust in that person or thing. It may be as childish as simply trusting in your favorite team or its quarterback and then religiously conforming your life to their game day schedule, wearing the green and gold vestments, oops, that's too specific, hanging their iconography in your home and then branding your vehicles like you would be branded with the name of Jesus in your baptism. Or it might be a more treacherous idol that you put your trust in, like the god of mammon, whose all-consuming religiosity can consume you as you try to acquire as much as possible. Everyone is spiritual and religious. There is always a religion that goes with your spirituality. Problem is, sometimes we don't see that our faith has been misplaced. But James says that we could actually look to our works to see. We can see, perhaps, when we are putting our fear, love, and trust in someone or something other than than God and what he has appointed. That was the work of the reformers. They recognized that there in the medieval church was an endless list of rites and rituals and practices and superstitions, and they weren't grounded in God's word. The people weren't being doers of the word, even if they were hearers. And so they abandoned many of them, those that could not be retained without sin, going against God's word. Of course, we heard an example of that from the Old Testament people, of the serpent upon the pole that Moses crafted by the Lord's, by his instruction, for the benefit of the people, that they would be healed after they cried out to him in prayer. Of course, you know, or maybe you know, the rest of the story. By the time of King Hezekiah, that 
bronze serpent had taken on a name, Nehoshetan, and they were worshiping it as an idol, to which Hezekiah destroyed it. Even the good things of God can be turned into idols. And today we have one rite of the church that actually the reformers abandoned but was restored a few hundred years ago, and that's the rite of confirmation. The problem with confirmation is it doesn't seem to do what we think it's supposed to do. Confessing the faith before the congregation, as Ella and Leah will do today, is good. And we should always encourage that confession out loud, not just here in the congregation, but before our neighbors. Confirmation seeks to train up the child, as the parents ought to do, and bring them to confess that faith before their fellow Christians. The promise that, that these ladies will make is that they will receive the gifts of faith regularly and consistently. That's all good. So we have to ask, why did the reformers unanimously remove this man-made right from the church's life? of the Lutheran Confession, at least for its first 200 years or more. Of course, we know that maybe we need to think a little bit more critically about what we're doing because maybe you know of adults and youth and even members of your own family who were confirmed in recent decades but now have abandoned the life of faith, the life that Jesus has appointed. What went wrong? Actually, James diagnoses it for us today. Are not those who have abandoned that faith which they once confessed, just like as James described? A man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, but then goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. See, the problem is simple, but it's not easy to hear. Despite all the hard work leading up to this day, despite the pageantry and the formality of the rite, what is the problem? The problem is that there is no promise from God that a ceremony that we appoint can do anything. That doesn't mean it's wrong, it just doesn't have God's promise attached to it. It's a human tradition. A good one that we have set up to draw the Christian further in and further up into the life of faith, not away from it. The reason that it doesn't work is that the right does not have the promise of the Spirit. And then, of course, we fall short afterwards in following up with what these young ladies will confess. On the other hand, God has given his promises to you in, in your baptism. He has promised the forgiveness of sins as you receive his supper, his body and blood. He's promised that your sins are forgiven every time your pastor absolves you in the stead and by his command. And he's promised that he is with you in the regular, normal hearing and teaching of God's Word. And of course, He has promised to guide you by His Spirit in your calling, by His giving, faithfully. These have God's Word to promise, of promise, to give and to sustain and to preserve and to deliver. So the faith received in baptism is what restores you to the family of God. All we will do today is declare what's already true. And within the holy institution of baptism, you live in love toward God and one another by the same word. The baptized Christian is the hearer of God's word and the doer of the word. 
And Christ Jesus has appointed for his body, the church, what his body is to do. It's his body, after all. And it's all gift of his love for giving his love to you, your children and your children's children. The faith needed is defined for you by the word. Trust in Jesus who died for you. And then the religion is not empty and useless, but the religion of the baptized is also determined and appointed by the word, living in the gifts that Christ freely gives. So our catechumens today, I'm not going to put you on the spot, don't worry, Ella, I know you're dozing off. But with a little reminder, I bet they could tell me what the life of the Christian looks like. Because that's what we spent three years learning. They can tell you what it means to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. And God willing, you can too. It's not that complicated. It's not easy though either. Luther articulated them the life of the Christian, to be a doer of the word with the six chief parts of the small catechism. Do you know what to know? Do you want to know what to believe, I should say? Well, that's simply articulating the catechism. Remember the faithful exposition of God's word there. Think about the Ten Commandments, the Creed, the prayer, baptism, Lord's Supper, and confession and absolution by the office of the keys. Do you want to know what the faithful Christian does, what it means to be a doer of the word? Well, it's simply this. Remain in what you have learned from God's word, what you have come to confess, and given in that brief form in the catechism. Receive the gifts Jesus has instituted as you have confessed and believed. Say the daily prayers. Follow God's instruction in the table of duties. It's not that complicated, but of course it's not easy. And that's the real reason why those who once confessed the faith here and were confirmed have now absented themselves. They chose a vain and useless religion rather than the one that Jesus has appointed. So we can rejoice today with Leah and Ella as they once again confess the faith of their baptism and as they continue and promise to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Again, it's always lovely to hear Christians confess their faith in Jesus, boldly, and their joy in the ongoing reception of our Lord's gifts that he freely gives. And of course, today we give thanks, too, for the parents and who have done the job of teaching these children the faith, but also the sponsors who have kept them in their prayers. The only difference, though, between today and last Sunday, or next Sunday, is that these same ladies will be making the same confession amidst you, in the pew. And they'll continue to do so until their dying breath. God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are working all things for them and for your benefit, even moving heaven and earth. And he has brought them and you into the faith, and he will continue to restore you to faithfulness each and every day and keep you in this trust in Jesus. And so our prayer today is that God grant it by his Spirit and through his word. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church Sermon Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin. If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting 
stjohnrandomlake.org, that's stjohnrandomlake.org, slash support, and give today.